What a privilege we have to open up the Word of God today. Please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read God's Word. But first, I want to say some things to set up where we're going. Now, we know it's a privilege to open up the Word of God. It is perfect. It is powerful. It is practical for our life. It is inerrant. It is inspired. It is infallible. And God is going to use His Word to change us today. We've been through, some of you have probably been through a horrendous week, and others of you just, you've survived the week. And, and all I can tell you is, if you're in the Word of God on a daily basis, you know how much you need it. But you also know you've got to come with, to the people, come to God in worship and come with the people of God to get into the Word as well. And, and we're experiencing this together. Though God, the Holy Spirit, is going to do something in each one of our hearts. And that's just an awesome thing to know. Now today we're talking about navigating disagreements. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. And I think you'll agree with me that disagreement is a part of life. We, we see them all over the place. We, we have disagreements with people. Some of you, on the way to church today, you were with your loved one in the car, and, and they were disagreeing with you. And you put on a happy face to get in here, but there's something going on. Now, obviously, disagreement is a part of all of our lives, bigger in some people's lives than others, of course, but present everywhere nonetheless. And we shouldn't be surprised, but we are. I think we're surprised that we have so many disagreements as believers. We think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not supposed to have all these disagreements. Isn't it amazing how such, how such vastly different versions of the same event can be given? I mean, just ask LeBron and Draymond. I mean, if you've been following the NBA playoffs, whew, they got completely different uh, you know, uh, stories of what actually happened in the game the other night. But people don't always agree. People don't agree. God gave us minds, and we have opinions, and so there's going to be disagreements. And they create a disturbance internally in our hearts, and they, they create turbulence in our, in our relationships and we feel the turbulence. It's like whitewater rafting, a treacherous river. Navigating disagreements can be a daunting task. We need help. All of us would say we need help with this. And so praise God that Acts chapter 15 verses 36 through 41 is going to help us navigate disagreements in our lives. And if you've come in here today with a whole list of things that you're like, well, what about this, 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 and this? I'm in the midst of them. Well, good news, because God wants to increase your capacity to love and serve Jesus, not in the absence of disagreements, but through them. Through them. We need help. And today we're going to see how God used a disagreement between two godly men to further the gospel. So take your Bibles, pick up Acts 15, and stand with me if you can. I'm going to read verses 36 to 41. This is the word of God. Let's remember this is God's word. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. But 
Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that when we came here today, we didn't have to wonder if we were going to get into the word or not. We have the freedom to open our Bibles, and we have the freedom to, to worship you here. And we thank you for the gift that your word is to us, Lord. We, we want to be under you and your authority and under the authority of your word. And Lord, so that just means that whatever you teach us today, whatever you show us today, that whatever you expose even in our hearts, in our lives, that we want to readily obey what you say in the power of your spirit. Have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So God really does want to increase your capacity to love and serve Jesus through disagreements, not in, in the absence of them. And so this is a great passage for us to be in this morning because we are now going from the complete agreement of the Jerusalem Council. We saw that last week in verses 1 through 35 of Acts 15. We, we come from the complete agreement of that council to now a disagreement, disunity, amongst Paul and Barnabas. So the main two leaders are not agreeing on who they should take with them on the next ministry trip. That's, that's the, the issue. Now last time, what we saw the church doing was be united for the gospel, and, and they honored God as they contended earnestly for the faith amidst false teaching. There were two doctrinal errors that were going on that were threatening the church. The first was that unbelievers, false teachers, had infiltrated the church and they were saying, you must follow the law to be a Christian. They're teaching salvation by works. They're not teaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They're preaching another gospel. They are accursed, basically, because of that. And so that is going on. But there's another issue in the church. Believers had come in, and these are heretics. These are believers teaching falsehood. They had come from pharisaical backgrounds, and what they said was, sure, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, but you have to follow the law to grow as a Christian. And so they're putting a yoke on the believer's necks that no one can bear. And what we see the church doing is beautiful. They're, they're basically answering this false teaching. They're dealing with the sinful dissension that arose in a very God-honoring way. They were, they're pleasing God as they do this. They're, they're showing how God's word clearly teaches salvation by grace, not works. And we should be very glad because that's a battle you know, from here until Christ comes again, there will be a battle where people are going to teach that salvation is by works and not grace. And we have to keep going back to what the Word of God says very clearly that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now you come to verses 36 to 41, and what you see is it's not an objective doctrinal you know, error that they're dealing with that's causing this disagreement. It is a subjective decision. It's a leadership decision. And, and what, they're, what Paul's saying is, we shouldn't bring John Mark. And Barnabas is like, yes, we should. Now, our, 
it's like this. Like our South Africa team is, is in South Africa right now. Let's just say before they left, Brian Bush and Tom Lakata got into a disagreement about who they should bring. They're saying, we shouldn't bring Rick Weber on this trip. One of them saying, I'm not going to tell you who. This is make-believe, by the way. We shouldn't bring him on the trip, and so they get into this big deal, and you're like, this is just crazy. This isn't going to happen. Well, it happened here. It happened here between Paul and Barnabas, and you can't ignore it. You can't say, oh, that really didn't happen. It really did, and it's in the biblical record, and and we've got to be very careful as we come to the Word of God and not assume all the things we think about who's right and who's wrong. We very quickly take sides, do we not? A lot of people will say, well, Paul should have given John Mark a chance. Everyone deserves a second chance. Sure, he deserted them, but he probably felt really bad about it and regretted it, and and he's going to do better this time. On the other hand, people will say, Barnabas should have, you know, submitted to Paul's authority. Well, guess what? The biblical record says none of that. Luke gives no judgment call on this. He gives the scene, and there's no indication that they sinned or they didn't sin in this setting. Basically, they just decide that they're going to go their separate ways. They have a disagreement, and, and what you see happening is on the eve of the second missions trip, the, the second ministry trip that the church is going to send out, two friends, two ministry teammates, two men that are completely united for the gospel are divided by differing opinions. You should feel good about this. This happens to you all the time, and, and it happened to them. They, they differed in their opinion about the suitability of one particular team, possible team member. You know, he filled out the short-term missions app. He really wants to go, and Barnabas is like, come on, let's take him. He's my cousin, by the way. But what you see happen is they don't go on this trip together. Paul and Barnabas do not go on this, this trip together. They part ways. They split. And that's really tough for us. I think that's very tough for us because as we have gone through the book of Acts, we have seen a mostly united church. We've seen them all together standing for the gospel, and and we've dealt with unified leadership in the book of Acts. Now, we know that the book of Acts is about Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. And we have seen this all the way through. You go through all 14 chapters we've gone through so far. We've gone through every single verse in all these 14 chapters. We're coming now to the end of chapter 15, and primarily through the first 14 chapters, you've got unified leadership in the church. In chapter 1, Jesus is calling his witnesses. Chapter 2, the Spirit is indwelling his church. Chapter 3, his witnesses are preaching the gospel. Things are going great. Chapter 4, the gospel is being confirmed by healing miracles that God is doing. In chapter 5, a problem does arise, and God purifies his church very clearly, purifies the church. Chapter 6, he's stretching their faith through trials. There's a lot of persecution, but the gospel is is succeeding in the purpose for which God sends it, and and they're rejoicing in the midst of that. And chapter 7 tells us that they're being scattered. God is scattering them in the gospel, and more and more people are being reached. Chapter 8, they're being sent out to reach more and more people. Chapter 9, God is choosing instruments of grace, one Saul of Tarsus to be exact. You get to verse, uh, chapter 10, and God is speaking to many hearts. People are just getting saved left and right. And this is rejoicing for the church, even though they're going through hard times. 
Chapter 11, you see God moving in people's hearts so they would be repenting of sin and following Christ and turning to Christ. And in chapter 12, you see God responding to evil. And we saw that God sometimes permits evil. And, and sometimes he overpowers it, but he always ultimately will punish evil, and it's for his glorious purposes in Christ. This is what we've been seeing in the book of Acts. And so the outcome of all that You see a crescendo in chapter 13. And in chapter 13, the church is going. They are going, they are sending people with the gospel. And they send this team out. And it's a healthy church that sends out the team. There's spiritual leadership, spiritual ministry. There is spiritual worship. They have warfare coming against them, but there is spiritual victory being experienced. They're rejoicing. And then you move on into chapter 14 and you have the church serving Christ's purposes. It's, it's going well. They're, they're serving Jesus fruitfully. Again, in the midst of trouble, they're serving Jesus fruitfully. They're focused on his calling. They're relying on his power. They're unafraid of the opposition that comes their way. They are insightful. They are teaming up for Jesus and the gospel. And then we get to chapter 15. And this is the navigating chapter. They are navigating dissension, sinful dissension, and now they're navigating disagreement in the leadership team. The sinful dissension came from outside, and the disagreement now is internal. And I think it's very tough for us to really grasp this and say, wow, this is really what was going on. They were contending earnestly for the faith. They were they were. Standing strong in the midst of dissension that's coming at them. And now, these two key leaders are disagreeing on who to take on the next trip. Couldn't they just figure this out? I mean, it's like you're talking to your kids. Like, just figure this out. Come back when you've figured it out. Quit fighting. But here's what we see. As they are navigating this disagreement What you see emerge is a, not a weaker church, a stronger church. You see a stronger church that God increases their capacity to love and serve Jesus through disagreement, not not in the absence of it. We all want to feel good. We don't want these things to happen, but they do happen. And God wants to increase your capacity to love and serve Jesus as you go through disagreement in a godly way. God wants to help us navigate disagreements in a godly way. Today I want to bring out three primary truths regarding disagreement that we see in this passage. I want you to see the first one in verses 36 to 38. And and it's it's a tough one for us to grasp. Here, Here it is. Number one, Christians can be simultaneously united and divided. At the same time, you can be united for the gospel and divided about your opinions. Never, never divide over doctrine, d- d- but there's divisions over opinions. You can be simultaneously united on all the things that Christians should and would die for together, and at the same time have disagreements about subjective opinions. And the reason why is because disagreement is not a sin. And that's hard for us to grasp, too. You might have trouble believing that. Well, Think of it this way. Disagreement is not a sin, just like temptation is not a sin. 
Now, disagreement can, can be the pathway to you choosing to sin, just like temptation is the pathway for us to choose to sin, but it is not sin to disagree, and it is not sin to be tempted. We've got to make that clear. What you choose to do with it determines whether you sin or not. Now, there's no indication, again, in this passage that Paul and Barnabas sinned or didn't sin here. We don't know. But what we do know is there was a major disagreement. A major disagreement. You can have serious discussion with opposing views and not sin. It's possible. A lot of us are like, well, what usually happens when I have a disagreement is, you know, I dig in, I fight for my views, I, I, I end up putting my foot in my mouth or hurting someone else with what I say or what I choose to do. And that isn't dealing with disagreement in a godly way. We'll call it that for what it is, right? But believers can agree on objective doctrine and disagree on subjective decisions. Again, Paul, Paul and Barnabas were united for the gospel but divided in opinion regarding a non-doctrinal decision. So verse 36 tells us, they'd been ministering, they'd been serving the Lord, they'd been preaching the word, and it says after some time, Paul gets an idea. So he says to Barnabas, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go back to all the places that we went before and visit all the churches there, all the new believers. It's a great idea. Let's return and see all the new believers from that recent trip that we took across the island of Cyprus, and then how we went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, south part of Galatia, let's go back and and revisit them. Great idea. This is a great thing we need to stop and, and, and point out, too. They had proclaimed the gospel in these places. They also recognized their responsibility to disciple new believers. Go back and, and really own the responsibility to mature new believers in their faith. And so a second ministry trip is in the works. That's great, right? Except verse 37 tells us that Barnabas wants to take John Mark. That's his cousin. And verse 38 tells us, Paul says, that's a bad idea. I disagree. And, and, so, and here's his reason why. I disagree with taking John Mark because remember when he deserted us on the last trip? You know, I don't want this happening again. And the word he uses, it's, the word that, 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 the, uh, that Luke uses here is he withdrew. It literally means he deserted. You can't soften that word at all. He gave up in the middle of gospel work. He gave up. Um, he, he, he left. We don't know why he left. We don't know. There's all sorts of reasons, you know, swirling around of why did John Mark leave them in the middle of a missions trip and one is well it was too hot for him the roads were too treacherous he was homesick we don't know but we do know is he quit and Paul's saying we're not taking quitters no quitters on my team that's what Paul's saying now remember you can be in full agreement doctrinally gospel truth and in disagreement regarding subjective human opinions at the same time because disagreement is not sin it's not a sin to disagree but there is that temptation there's a lure there that you you can choose to sin when you're in disagreement we often do now i grew up baiting fish hooks with simple salmon eggs and Velveeta cheese now some of you are saying well Velveeta is a very delicious you know uh queso you can make out of that no it's it's fish bait 
and camping in the eastern Sierras with my family. We're catching trout in streams. You use salmon eggs and fish bait. I never had any luck fishing with lures. But lures are, are different. They are, are designed, they're very sophisticated, different colors and shapes and sizes, and not for them to look good on, on the shelf so that you will want to buy them, but that they will work in the water and they will lure the fish to bite and then get snagged by the hook so that you can then pull the fish out, kill and eat. It's awesome the way it, it works this way. But again, but again, lures are designed to catch fish. And a lot of us take the bait. We, we get in a disagreement, we get in, a, in an argument, and we take the bait, and we need to be careful not to get baited in and cave into the temptation to sin in the midst of a disagreement. Again, disagreement is not sin, but you can sin in a disagreement. Leads us to a second point here. We're going to look at verse 39. Verse 39, and, and the, the idea here is that Christians need to develop the capacity to agree to disagree. Now, a lot of Christians are like, you disagree with me, you're wrong. And they'll try to demonize that person. They'll try to even sully their reputation. They'll gossip about them and slander about them. And, and the disagreement isn't that big, but we feel like we have to be right. And we go and, you know, we, we campaign against them. Christians need to develop the capacity to agree to disagree. And if you look at verse 39, it tells us, that there was such a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. So this is not a little thing. They formed two ministry teams as a result. But this was a contention. Sharp disagreement is a very strong word, and it literally means an irritation, a provocation, and a quarrel. You can't soften that either. This really did happen. And neither one of them was willing to give up their opinion. You know how that goes. You're digging in, right? You're digging in, and you're basically having a debate about it. And Barnabas is like, no, we're taking John Mark. And Paul's like, no, we're not. No quitters. He's like, come on, he's my cousin. Let's give him a shot. No. And they're going back and forth, and neither one of them are yielding. Do you know what it means to yield, by the way? We're not very good yielders, I know. But yield means you let the other have their way. Or you yield to a car, you let the other car go. And, and we have trouble yielding. Neither one of them was yielding. But what you need to realize is it didn't get personal, as far as we know. And if it did... Both of them were free to minister right away because you don't see them looping back and looking. Now, by the way, Paul and Barnabas had to have a summit and, and figure this out and sit down and have a, have a talk this out. If they had done anything wrong, they're free and clear to minister. Because that means that they took care of their deal. A lot of us don't take care of our, of our issues. You need to repent of your sins and reconcile with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is that simple and it is that tough. What you need to realize is it doesn't mean that they hated each other. I think it's so easy for us to, to say, well, we're not agreeing, so therefore, you're my enemy. It, it happens in politics. It happens in, in Bible studies. It happens in homes. It happens in communities. People polarize over ideas and disagreements and subjective opinions. When was the last time you had a major disagreement with someone? I don't mean a little difference of opinion that was like, you know, two seconds long. I mean a major eruption. It's a tsunami of terrible interaction, a tornado of relational fury. When was the last time that happened in your life? And it was over a difference of opinion. A difference of subjective opinion. 
opinion. We're not talking objective truth here, people. We're talking you had a difference of opinion. Well, how many people got affected by your storm? How many sleepless nights did you endure? How many, how many do you think you might have inflicted on the other party? Or, or maybe you didn't really care who was left in the wake of your fury. Or maybe you ignored a volatile situation until it blew up in your face because you said, oh, it's, they have an issue. They have the issue. I'm fine. They have the issue. No, 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 you have the issue too. Remember what Jesus said. If you know that your brother has something against you, you go. Well, it's their issue. No, they have something against you. You need to go, make it right, and reconcile. You know about it. You can't just say, oh, it's their issue. I'm fine. No, you're not. And we have all seen the wreckage of ruined relationships based on sharp disagreements and sinfully short-sighted reactions on our part. And we know there's a better way. We know the Bible is very clear about seeking peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That means you go out of your way to make peace. You make every effort You don't give up after one try or two tries. You make every effort. Don't ruin, what he's saying is don't ruin what the Spirit produces. Spirit gives you peace. So seek peace and pursue it. James 1 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Let me tell you a story about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, the second and third presidents of the United States. Towards the end of their lives, they were estranged. They were not talking to one another. And they had years of political tension, water under the bridge. They had tons of ideological disagreements and personal rivalries and misunderstanding. And they had snuffed out one of the most most beautiful friendships in American political history. They weren't talking. And so one day, Adams' physician and fellow revolutionary, Benjamin Rush, suggested to Adams that he write to Mr. Jefferson and cease the decades of silence. We don't know the reasons why he did it, but he did. Adams wrote to Jefferson. And it was the beginning of what historian and Adams biographer David McCullough describes as one of the most extraordinary correspondences in American history. The Adams-Jefferson letters are remarkable, but not for why you might think. There's not some powerful rhetoric and political genius interwoven. This is a private conversation between the second and third presidents of the United States. And what it reveals, what their letters reveal, is profound respect and admiration for each other in the midst of disagreement. They argued points till the end of their lives. They both died on July 4th, 1826. And they argued and debated everything from religion to revolution to the end of their lives. But their respect and their goodwill in each other was rekindled through those letters and they never dissipated again. It is possible for you to develop the capacity to agree to disagree and be friends. What Adams and Jefferson were exemplifying is what Samuel James calls the lost art of disagreement. James writes, Honest, principled disagreement between people who respect one another and mutually assume the best intentions has done an astonishing, disappearing act in much of our culture. Instead, our dialogue is either unhinged and bitter, 
passive-aggressive and condescending, or else completely neutered to the point of meaninglessness. You need to develop, I need to develop, we need to develop the capacity to agree to disagree in a godly way. That's the second thing we see here. So first we see that, that, that Christians can simultaneously be united with the go- in the gospel and then disagree over subjective opinions. And disagreement is not a sin there. And you need to agree to disagree. The third thing we're going to see at the end of verse 39 through verse 41. God can and will use disagreement for his purposes to further the gospel. And you would never say, well, let's disagree so we get more gospel out. Just like Paul said, we're not going to sin so that more grace will come to us. But God can use disagreement to further the gospel. And that's what he does right here. Remember, there's a sharp disagreement between the two. A sharp disagreement. Now, that word is an interesting word. Again, I've, I've mentioned it means irritation. But it's the same word used in Hebrews 10.24 for encouragement. For stirring one another up to love and good deeds. So it can, and it can have a very positive meaning. Here it has a negative meaning and, and it's, it's real. It's a real irritation between two sincere believers. And God uses that division to branch out the gospel work. Verse 39, the end of it tells us that Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus went to his home island, his native island, and continued really evangelizing cities and villages he began with Paul. And by the way, it's the last we hear of Barnabas in the book of Acts. Here's what you need to remember. A lot of people will say, well, see, Barnabas wasn't right. We want to take sides. Paul was right. Barnabas was wrong. No indication of that here. Remember what Acts is. It's a record of Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. And Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is tracing the, the growth of the gospel, the major veins of gospel growth. And so he starts with Peter, and now he's shifted to Paul. Barnabas was always a bit player in this, in this drama. A very significant ministry, very significant man, but he is not the main character that we're following here. We're following Paul at this point. We're seeing where he went and where God led him. And so... Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus, and, and Luke is tracing the spread of the gospel through Paul. So verse 40 tells us, Paul chooses Silas and then leaves. By the way, Silas was a great pickup. Barnabas was an awesome ministry partner. Silas is an amazing free agent pickup. Like, wow, he was available? Now he comes 330-some miles to meet up with Paul. He's on a, a, a long journey to come onto this team. And he's a great teammate. He could preach and teach. He's a Jew, so he has access to synagogues. He's a Roman citizen, so he's got the same protections and benefits that Paul has. And it says that they're commended by the brothers to the grace of God. They're commended to this work. Now, don't read that, that Barnabas and Mark were not commended. Remember, they're they're on this this trail that's leading where, where, where the Spirit is leading Paul, and they're commended by the church for that work. Paul and Barnabas were both in God's plan. There's no indication otherwise. He uses Paul's apprehension about bringing John Mark to direct them into separate directions, and 
Mark had proven unreliable in the past. Paul's making a valid point. Paul probably didn't have the same faith in his maturity as as Mark's cousin Barnabas, who maybe wanted to give a family member a chance. Neither one are right or wrong on this. This is their perspective on it. We're not talking objective biblical truth that they were landing on saying, there is no way, the Bible says right here that you never bring a quitter and that you never get another chance once you quit. So what Paul does and, and Silas does, is they go through, verse 41 tells us, they go through Cilicia and Syria and, and they strengthen the churches. They don't take the boat ride from Seleucia to Italia. They stay on land and they encourage all the churches they had been at before. And it's, it's great ministry. They, they, they're, they're serving the Lord. But, but guess what? There are two missions teams now, not just one. Barnabas and John Mark are out ministering in Cyprus. We're, not just, we're just not following that story here. Just remember this. You will have disagreements with other believers, other sincere, born-again, regenerate, saved sinners, and it's going to happen until Jesus comes back or you go to be with him, whichever comes first. And God is going to allow those things for his purposes. You never want to get into an argument to get, to get God's purposes. Uh, you don't want to do that. That would be a sinful thought. But you can't argue with the fact that God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Barnabas was called and Paul was called and they disagreed, but it wasn't sin to disagree. They needed to agree to disagree and God used that for his purposes. So when we're we're thinking about our things, for example, I said before that God wants to Increase your capacity to love and serve Jesus through disagreements. That you could have a record of disagreements you know of that have been resolved, and then you've got the ones that are still fresh, maybe inflamed, maybe festering, not just like a, a, little, a little sliver in your hand or, or, or something like that, but something kind of big, and, and, and you've kept it going. Or someone has kept it going. And of course, you think they're wrong and you're right. But if you apply these things, you'll navigate well. You'll navigate well. To know that disagreement is not sin, that you do need to have the capacity to agree to disagree in in a godly way, and knowing that God can use it for his purposes. As we think about this and how this is going to affect our life really today and tomorrow and however many days God gives us, I want to give you four godly responses to disagreement that you can really latch onto and say, hmm, this is going to help me in my marriage. This is going to help me in ministry. This is going to help me in the marketplace. It will help you. As a believer, these things will help you. If you want to navigate disagreement in a godly way, here's how you take the high road. A lot of us, are, are, we, know, we know all the back alleys on the low road. But, but I think we want to take the high road. We all know we want to take the high road. We end up like, is my car on autopilot? I'm going down the low road again. But God wants us to take the high road. You don't want a 21-car pileup. A lot of us cause those in our relationships. You don't want a shipwreck. You want to navigate well. Four godly responses to disagreement. Equally helpful in your ministry, your marriage, your mar- and the marketplace. And, and, and it's, it spells cats, 
It could have spelled axe if I was thinking, because you know how much I love cats. It could have spelled axe, but it spells cats, and we're going to change it for third hour probably, but, but it's memorable. And, 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 and going through disagreements with people is kind of like herding cats at times, is it not? So the first thing you need to do if you want to respond in a godly way to disagreement is clarify the issue. What is it that you're disagreeing about? Is it biblical? Is it ethical? Is it philosophical? Or have you made it personal? You need to clarify that. Number two, you need to ask God for wisdom. Admit that you don't have all the resources to figure this out. Admit there really is a disagreement rather than denying it. You know, some people say, well, we never argue. Well, someone's getting run over here. (laughs) You need to always be asking this. What does God's word have to say about this situation I'm in? Now, you might say, well, nothing specifically, but a lot generally. Okay. Or you might say, well, there's actually some specific things in the Bible that, that speak to this situation. But you need to ask, how does God's word speak to this? And how does what Jesus did on the cross in dying for sin... And rising from the dead, how does what Jesus do in the gospel, how can that transform this? How can the gospel transform this? Ask God for wisdom. James 1 tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's going to give it to you. Proverbs 16.20 says, whoever handles a matter wisely finds good. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. You want to, you want to ask God for wisdom in the middle of disagreements. And third, you need to talk it over. Now, a lot of us are like, yeah, I'll talk it over with my friends, air it out with all my friends in public and behind that person's back. No, that's sinful. Talk it over. Discuss it. Talk it out together with the person you're in the disagreement with. Don't gossip. Don't slander. A lot of people hide their gossip and slander with, well, I'm just asking for advice. You know how you know that you're you're crossing that line? You know how you know? Because if you're a Christian, you got the Holy Spirit in you, and you probably have this, this, little, this little voice saying to you, no, don't do that. Plenty of times I just push right through that, and so do you. But we gotta listen, we got to listen to God and what he says to us and not slander and gossip. Now, if it's a clear issue in Scripture, by the way, if it's something Christians would die for together, hold it as tight as you can and never let it go. The authority of scripture, the deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, all that we would die for together. But when you're talking about your personal opinions, and you can have very strong convictions about your personal opinions, politics, schooling options, health choices, or other things that are not obvious and clear in scripture, and they're not all shared by every Christian, then you need to tread very lightly, hold them lightly. A lot of people like to hold their opinions even more tightly than biblical truth. Don't do that. You can make your case for non-essentials biblically if you can find it and practically all day long, but you've got to be willing to fellowship with others who may not be on the same page as you on those subjective opinions. Remember, it's not sin to disagree. It is sin to cause dissension. It is sin to give unloving actions and extreme animosity and gossip and slander and harming people's reputations. This is the easiest way, the biblical way to handle sin in a godly way. You confess your sin. 
You repent of your sin and you reconcile with whoever you have issues with. That is the biblical model. And then fourthly, settle it peacefully. Clarify what the issue is. Ask God for wisdom. Talk it out with the person you're dealing with. Just like Paul and Barnabas had this long discussion. And then settle it peacefully between the two of you. Decide. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. They said, we're going to go our separate ways. It's better. It's better right now to go our separate ways. So we're going to have two ministry teams instead of one at this point. And you need to realize this. Disagreements are going to happen in this life between you and other believers. And God is going to use them for his sovereign purposes. Here God used disagreement to multiply ministry. And we know there were telltale signs of reconciliation later. Paul and Barnabas were good. 1 Corinthians 9, he's name-checking Barnabas. He's like, it is, is it only Barnabas and I who don't have the right to refrain from working for a living? Like, can we make our living by the gospel? And, and they were strengthened. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta conclude that Paul and Barnabas' relationship was strengthened, not weakened by this disagreement. They're both out serving the Lord fruitfully. And Paul overcame his objection about John Mark. He later ministered with him. He, he, tells, he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, bring John, bring John Mark with you. He's helpful to me in ministry. Who had discipled him? Barnabas. So let me ask you this as we close up. If you're having a disagreement with a fellow believer, and maybe it's gone on for a long time and you've harbored it, and you've actually convinced yourself that you are right and they are wrong, you got to clarify it. you got to ask God for wisdom. you got to talk it over. And you need to settle it peacefully. Titus 3.2 says this. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now you can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. you got to negotiate as you navigate. See, good disagreeers are good negotiators. You've got to unite around a decision, even if it's to agree to disagree, and even if it's to go your separate ways. There's a lot of disagreement that can be settled before going public. Think before you speak. Don't provoke people to anger. Don't stir up dissension. Don't do worse in your response to the disagreement than the, than the actual disagreement. And trust God to bring beauty out of the ashes you have created. You have to realize this. All of us are fixer-uppers. You ever buy a fixer-upper? You buy a fixer-upper and you gotta do a lot of work on it. All of us are fixer-uppers. We're all reclamation projects. We're deserving of of another chance. We're deserving of grace because of, of who God is. If God has given you grace, then we are to speak gracefully to others. We are to show mercy. But you might have found as we're going through this today that you keep getting tangled up in disagreements all the time. And if so, and you go, I keep failing, I keep doing this, remember WD-40. WD-40, you know what it stands for? Water displacement, 40th try. Aren't you glad they didn't stop at 39 tries to, 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 to make this? You know what your car door would sound like if they had stopped at 39 tries? You gotta trust God by his spirit to help you navigate disagreements it's possible to disagree in a godly way 
The same spirit that was leading Paul and Barnabas leads us today. The same Holy Spirit. You've got to ask yourself this question. Am I truly submitting the issues in my heart to the Lord and asking for the Spirit's guidance? Or am I just going my own way, living like an unbeliever? Am I examining my motives to see if they are godly? Am I laying aside falsehood and speaking truth and being angry and not sinning and not giving the devil an opportunity? My good friend Lloyd Rinks once was talking to a group of younger pastors in which I was present, and he said, put a period on your heartaches. And you need to also put a period on your disagreements that have led to disunity, and you've got to follow a biblical pattern with it. And if not, you will be frozen. You won't grow until you let it go. Frozen, let it go. Tie in. (laughs) Resolve to go and make peace. If you know your brother or your sister has something against you, go and be reconciled. We're coming to the table this morning. I've said it before. You might need to text someone right now. You might need to lean over and have a a few kind words with someone next to you or across the room. Or you might need to just leave and call somebody because it really is important. These things really are important. Thank you, Lord, for the importance that you place on your truth. Thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you lead us. And thank you, Lord, that as we seek peace and pursue it, you bless us with peace. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.